So Justin, uh, I think the key question for me is, is why do you do this work? And the reason I ask you that question is because it feels like just Africa is one of those places, you know, to a lot of people, it seems like there's always problems. So, yeah. so why do you do this? It seems like it's just a daunting task. Yeah. Um... My name is Wills Francis. And I'm Justin Ahrens. And today we want to tell you about an organization called LifeWater International. LifeWater is one of the oldest safe water organizations in the world, helping marginalized people groups in places like Africa and Asia overcome some of the greatest challenges in our world. You know, there are some fires which can be very big, but they're based on grass, dry grass. You can pass in the morning, it's very big fire. By afternoon, it's gone. And so, and so sometimes we see change in the communities that looks like, wow, no? looks very big change, but it may not last. It's like so we want to hear about what you think has really changed in this place. And it's not like Bugu Bugu, but it's change which will last a long time. And this change that he's talking about, safe water and sanitation. Let's frame the reality a little bit for the people who may not understand um, the experiences of people in countries like the Democratic Republic of the Congo or Uganda. Um, Justin, can you tell us a little bit about what their experience is like actually on the ground? Yeah, so there's a whole range of statistics that are really kind of shocking and, and, and hard to deal with. But for example, fewer than one in four girls complete primary school due to the effects of poor sanitation. So that is a staggering statistic that is completely and utterly um, solvable if they have access to safe water resources. Or in rural Uganda, one of the areas we're working in now, one in five people lack adequate safe water. So we get up every day and go get a drink out of our fridge or out of our faucet. We have access to it. Right. Um, that, that is not a reality for them. Or something even you know more staggering, I think, in the Claro district of Uganda where we're working in 2016, 33 to 45% of people live on less than $1 per day. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that LifeWater has realized and they're working to combat is that you really can't have economic development without meeting people's basic um, nutritional, um, sanitation, and hygiene needs, um, as well as clean water. So if we want economic development to happen, uh, clean water and sanitation has to happen first. And to tell you this story, 
Justin traveled to Uganda in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Well, Wills, I didn't know any, only travel. I mean, I took several planes, a variety of trucks, and we needed to hike. And I was there to understand the water crisis and what it means to the people that LifeWater serves. And we're going to learn that through the eyes of LifeWater CEO, a guy named Justin Narducci. Well, it's been about seven days since Brian was giving me direction on how to use this microphone. And, and since then, we've been throughout uh, northern and eastern Uganda. And we're now in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And what I didn't do in Amsterdam was introduce Brian McDonald officially as our first guest host. So, Brian, welcome. Yeah, way to not introduce me before, Justin. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So, Brian McDonald yeah, is, to be here. is from Wonderkind Studios and is not only a good friend um, and someone we collaborate with often, he's also the co-founder and writer of Wheels for Water. Yes, we do that together to help um, bring awareness and raise some money for some water projects and also... Uh, I'm here taking some pictures and doing some video work also to kind of document the things that we're seeing here. So that's kind of exciting to be here and to be able to uh, share those stories visually. But the reason we're here isn't for Brian and I to talk. It's for... Oh, come on. Just... You and I just talk. <laughs> it's for me to introduce a dear friend, someone I, I greatly admire. That is Justin Oducci, CEO and president of Life Water. Justin, welcome to Design Up. Guys, thanks for having me on the show. I've listened to every season so far. <laughs> it's good. It's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Justin, why don't you give us a little overview of, of LifeWater? Sure. LifeWater is the oldest Christian water development organization in North America. We started in 1977, have this very rich history, having served in over 40 countries and reaching about 2.5 million people with safe water. Um, right now, our activities are predominantly focused in East Africa and Southeast Asia. We're based in California. Oh, it's how many million? A trillion. A trillion. <laughs> two a and lot. a half. Two yeah. and a half million. What, what an awesome history. And yeah. uh, before I forget, I wanted to just let everyone know that we're currently are in, uh, how do you say it again? Nebabongo in the Congo. Yeah. <laughs> Nebabongo in the Congo. So... A lot of the um, noise you hear in the background are um, people working on their homes and uh, just the wildlife in the area. Yep. So we are um, also our first remote podcast for Design Of. So remote that we got to fly a little um, MAF plane in uh, over the border. Mm -hmm. So that was exciting. And uh, Justin got to fly a little bit. Yeah. MAF does a great job. So it was really fun to fly my first flight over the... Um the jungle in Congo with John, our pilot. Yeah, it was pretty crazy coming through. And um, once we, we left Bunya, is where we stopped over and went through customs. Um, we kind of went over this ridge and looking down, it was like a sea of broccoli yeah. for miles and miles just as we were flying over the jungle. So that was pretty amazing. Um, still not quite sure why John allowed Justin to fly the plane. Yeah. That's why he did that. Oh, it is. It's, 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 right. it's my birthday. Yeah. 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 So he thought, hey, what better than to become an African To risk pilot. everyone's life yeah. and yeah. let you fly for I mean, how hard can it be? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. over what? The largest rainforest? Second largest. Second largest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so here we are. And um, <laughs> so why don't, you give, why don't you give people a little bit more understanding of um, what is, a, uh, what is a, a project like for LifeWater? 
Sure. Um, to make it really simple, we start with hygiene behavior change. So hand washing, how to store water safely. And then our programs kind of progress with the community and they build their own latrines and start handling human and animal waste. And then it moves to water, which is what you typically think of with water projects. Um, we do all sorts of different water installations, really basic technologies, nothing too fancy, um, from hand dug wells to drilled wells, shallow and deep, um, all with hand pumps. And then we do spring caps, which are natural springs that can be capped to be protected. And you saw a couple of those. Yeah. Um, and we do rain catchment tanks to harvest rainwater in, in areas like this where they get a lot of rain. Um, so basically, whatever is appropriate for the region is, is what we do on the installation. But it's all done after we start with really basic things that the community can participate in and start seeing health improvements right away. One of the reasons why LifeWater is so successful in creating lasting change in these communities is because they work with existing resources and personnel who are already living in the communities. Yeah, what's brilliant and what I think is the only way to make lasting change is when you work with people that already live in those communities. They care about these communities. They know the people in those communities. So in this case, in Uganda or the Congo, you use Ugandans and Congolese. And that's when traction really happens and behavioral change starts to appear. Okay. Uh, what is your name? So my name is Edward Mubiru. I'm the Uganda County Director for Life Water International. And the results are pretty staggering, especially when you hear them coming from the mouths of people living in this region, like these kids. My name is Kola Dodge Fiona. There are 12 years old. My name is Awoshami. I am 12 years old. How do they feel about this water well, or how has it changed your life mm. in whatever capacity makes sense for them? Right? Yeah. The water source is now very close to them and uh, they have able now even to do other things. Before, because before, they would spend a lot of time looking for water. But now the water source is just near their home, so they can hurry for the water and go and do other things. Mm. Yeah. When we first started working with LifeWater, they invited us on a vision trip where we could see areas that they were working. And while we were in Uganda, we were shown a project that had not started yet that was going to serve initially a thousand people and they told us this amazing statistic and that that is life waters figured out for forty dollars they can give someone water for life so wow. this initial program was going to cost forty thousand dollars another thing we observed when i was there was how bikes were used as a tool so you'd have a lot of these kids who would need to go to the um the watering resource and fill up these jerry cans, those yellow jerry cans that we all kind of have in our mind when we think about, you know, um, this scenario. And when they're filled with water, they're about 40 pounds. So if you have three or four of those, you know, that's, you know, 120, you know, or more pounds that these kids are not able to carry. So what they do is they put them on their bike and they take them back to their home. And so we thought, hey, uh, how can we do something outside of work, but also use our work skills to help raise awareness? And so. 
when we were there, I said, hey, we would like to take an, uh, a stab at raising uh, $40,000 for you because that's how much it would be. A thousand people times $40 is $40,000. And so um, me and um, Brian, who we've met on this podcast, decided how can we um, do a campaign where we'll ride our bikes and in solidarity with those that we were serving, try to raise a 40,000. So we decided to raise a th- to ride a thousand miles, try to get each mile sponsored for $40 and raise the 40,000. And what was really cool is by the time we were done with our adventure, we rode our bikes from Boston to Chicago, we'd raised 102,000. Wow. And helped um, obviously much more people, many more people than just a thousand. And you don't have a degree in nonprofit work or social good. This is just something you got involved in because you saw an opportunity and a need. Yeah, we're passionate about it, and um, I rode my bike really slow. Here's a town hall meeting after clean water resources had been established. Divine Waters has brought safe drinking water in Nebuangwe. Incidence of viral uh, disease is no longer there. Wills, I think there's a common misconception that we should address now. What's that? I think a lot of people, including myself, when I first started working with LifeWater, is the thought of, hey, if I raise money and help put a fresh water resource in a community, then everything will be great. Yeah, people won't get sick anymore, there's clean water. Yeah, and the reality is that these scenarios are so much more complex. Uh, Waterborne diseases are those diseases that are transmitted via water or feces um, in the course of normal life. Um, We would be able to prevent most of those because we flush our feces down the toilet. Um, That's not the case in places like where we are now. So, for example, a fly could transmit... um, could sit on some open stool somewhere and land on a dinner plate and you eat off that dinner plate and everything else in your whole life is safe but that fly has transmitted a fecal coliform that then you have in your mouth and effectively have a waterborne disease. Um, So that's that's generally how it works. We uh, can talk about that in great detail but the consequences are pretty dire. Um, In our world today, as we sit here, we lose 1,600 children every day from what we consider to be preventable waterborne diseases. So every 60 seconds, every single day, um, we're losing little kids, kids under the age of five, to these preventable waterborne diseases, things that could be addressed with proper hygiene, sanitation, and safe water. Again, we can't do that for people. Communities have to develop these behaviors themselves, but we can certainly um, facilitate those interventions, and that's what we're trying to do. So Justin, before we dig deeper into LifeWater International and Justin Arducci and his story, I want to hear a little bit about how you got involved with clean water projects. Because even before I came to Rule 29 or started working on uh, these types of projects, I knew that the culture here was one that was very concerned about design for good initiatives. So how did you get involved initially? Yeah, well, I had met Justin while he was working for another organization. And what was really fantastic is I learned through our collaboration with him the power of design and how we can do projects that actually um, have a result that could, you know, change people's lives. And that was completely and totally and utterly awesome and exciting. And water projects or the 
the sort of safe water industry as a whole, we have just found is the most impactful place to invest time, at least we think so, um, in community development. Because if you don't have safe water, or if you don't have water at all, you know, it doesn't matter the other things that you're trying to fix, people are going to be unhealthy. And so we thought, wow, what a great place to, to be a part is, you know, in the foundational needs of a community. Can you give a little detail? So what, what's the difference between a, I mean, it sounds obvious, um, what's the difference between an unprotected and a protected water source? Like, how does that play yeah. out? Well, maybe you could give your um, viewers a little picture tutorial. Um, yeah, I can help with that. When you, yeah, maybe we had like a photographer come and show. Oh, that would be that's that'd a be great amazing. Idea. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but for those who maybe are more auditorily stimulated, oh nice, you, can, um, <laughs> you you would picture words. like um, an unprotected spring, kind of something you would run across when you're hiking in um, a mountain or on a mountain or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't hike, but I've heard of these things happening. Yeah. Um, so animal feces could get into it. It's, it's open, and so there's germs and bacteria and things like that. That's a lot of what we saw today. Um, children and families who are just drinking from natural spring water that's also shared with animals and with clothes that they're washing. Right, they bathe, wash, and yeah. drink it, yeah. But, um, you know, in some circumstances, that can actually be cut back into the mountain so you can get closer to the source and you can cap it with cement and you create a little pool in there that flows out of a pipe. And then, you know, the pipe can, can provide this safe water to the community. So that's just one example of something that happens a lot. Now, but what, not what you typically think of. Sure. So earlier you were talking about you come in and you, and you work um, with these communities on sanitation and, and, and hygiene education. And then you do the water source. So yeah. that's, that's interesting to me because I think most people would assume that you would, you know, put a pump in and, and then go from there. What, why do you do it the way you do it? So... Yeah, it's a good point. Um, community development is where instead of just providing something to someone, you allow communities to participate in their own change process. And that's really the heart of what we do is allow vulnerable children and families to be part of the change that they're trying to, to see. So they know their kids are sick. Um, it could be a, a bunch of reasons why their kids are sick. But when you start with really basic things like hand washing, all of a sudden, a lot of their illnesses start to go away because um, hand washing has a pretty dramatic change on improving health for especially vulnerable populations and it doesn't cost anything so they're participating it's not just somebody doing something for them but they're actually participating in their own quality of life improvements Um, they're learning some things which is always exciting to have new knowledge and that's why we read and do podcasts and all that kind of stuff and they're participating in it they're not waiting for me to come help them give them a well or whatever Um, So those principles are really baked into what we do at LifeWater. And so we start with small, manageable things that anybody can do with basically no cost and allow them to see those successes and then steadily build up to what eventually is their well. They they earned it. We just are facilitating that intervention. Yeah, so um, last week we were were traveling in northern Uganda looking at some different programs, some place where you guys have done work already, and then also some areas that are... Um, kind of pre-intervention mm-hmm. where you guys hope to do some work yeah. and there's a there's a marked difference that we saw between those communities can you kind of paint a little picture for us what those look like sure i think part of it um is i'm going to go back to that worldview concept so people's outlooks as you talk to them um and that's not even the physical stuff that i'll talk about in a second you know kind of the surroundings but as you talk with people and in, in in the post-intervention methodology they really feel confident they're able they see problems and they see solutions on their own 
in a pre-intervention, it's almost like they're waiting for you to do something. You know, I don't know if you guys remember that. It was kind of like, hey, our water's bad. Why don't you guys come fix that, you know? In a post-intervention, it's like, yeah. And, and that's just because they're used to people doing that, right? Well, Coming I mean, I, I don't know. Some level? Some level of that. You know, I don't know exactly where that comes from because I think it's different in each context and culture. But, yeah, probably some of that. But um, in the post-intervention, it's like, yeah, we have this this, and this issue, but we're doing this, this, and that about it. You know, uh, thieves keep stealing our rainwater jar taps, but, you know, we've built this little jerry-rigged system so that it'll keep working you know that's the kind of mentality you would we would want to see people who take ownership and they're solving their own problems being proactive so from a worldview standpoint that's really exciting for us um and then same with toilets same with drying racks we saw the drying racks where um your pots and pans and those sorts of things would be off the ground elevated the sun can help disinfect those um all the rubbish the trash in the area should be in a pit animals should be kind of penned up so they're not defecating all over there should be no human feces on the on the surroundings you know and obviously the pre-intervention would be kind of the opposite of all that it's really fascinating to hear which members of the community take ownership of these newly developed safe water resources a lot of times it's the women uh, elderly women the kind of mamas as uh, we would call them um, more and more we see local churches taking a lead I mean today in the meeting that we were in um, I was really excited to hear them talking about how they're sharing these health messages from the pulpit. It's really cool to hear churches talking about poo-poo. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's great. It's, it's actually biblical. There's a whole bunch of passages in Leviticus about how to handle human waste. Um, not something we talk... Actually, I think it's Deuteronomy. Now that I think of it. Um, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of things that, um, that different community organizations do. Like children are a huge change agent. Um, so the elderly, children, local churches, those are kind of the guys that we see pretty consistently. Yeah, so she is uh, just happy to, to tell us that this water here that, we, that has already been constructed is helping them. Like here at their household level, they are now very okay because they can easily access drinking water and uh, for household use, they, 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 they don't have any problem now. Because at whatever point, if you want to wash your clothes, water would be there readily. If you want to drink water, there's no problem. Mm. It will be there. Unlike before, where people would move long distance, and uh, sometimes when you want to drink water, you don't find anything in the storage container. But now, every time, container is full. So how did you get to this point? You know, you're the you're leading life water. Mm-hmm. What did you do before this to kind of get here? Um well so was there, was there like a turning point that made you feel like you needed to do work like this? Yeah or? actually it, it's kind of interesting. Um I started doing work by the way, I'm glad it's interesting since this is a podcast. Well, if, it was, people to keep I, if it's not interesting, I'll make it interesting. Oh, there, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. at least it's super interesting to my mom. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so um, I started, let's see, after college, um, I started doing work with the youth at our, at our church. It's kind of a big church. And so we took youth on these trips all over the world um, to do these service projects or whatever. And we did this service project in the Dominican Republic. 
And for whatever reason, it just kind of like changed the way I saw the world. I was reading some stuff that these guys at Food for the Hungry were writing. Daryl Miller um, was, wrote this book called um, Discipling the Nations. And then Food for the Hungry put this curriculum together. And it was really making a lot of sense on how communities develop and how the worldview is really important, like how they see the world, how they see God, how they see themselves, and how they see their um, surroundings, their environment, and how a lot of fatalism can kind of creep in to their understanding of the way things are and how it's never going to change. And when that happens, basically, it doesn't change. It kind of becomes so this self-fulfilling of hope, basically. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm probably 21 at the time, and Aaron and I are married, and um, I was like, well, I get to kind of pick what I want to do. And so really wanted to go down that path, but didn't really have a way on onto that ramp, I guess you would say. So started working for the Boeing company, doing international contracts and finance, just hoping I could get some more international experience. And then I worked with this great lady um, in Eastern Africa for five years after that, working um, in urban centers. And one of the things we did in urban centers was, um, as you know, water and sanitation among other projects. And so I really learned a lot from Florence um, about effective change and uh, local ownership and community development and all that kind of stuff. And um, came a point where the travel was getting really hard on my family from East Africa back to the States. And we really thought it was probably time for a change. And LifeWater was the only job I applied for and tricked them into hiring me. So here I am, yeah. I think from, you know, the water standpoint, you know, it'd be interesting for you to kind of give your perspective of, of why, why, you know, invest or support uh, a water program like Life Water. Sure. You know, why do that versus something else? Yeah. Well, I think it's important for me to say that I, I think any sort of development initiatives are really worthy investments, whether it's microfinance or um, primary health care or, you know, cleft pallets, whatever it is that people are really passionate about. I think it's... I would encourage those listening to get passionate about one thing and just kind of go all in on it. From my perspective, uh, obviously biased toward water, um, we kind of look at the water sanitation situation in a community as foundational to the development of the community. So if kids are going to school but they're coming home and they're sick, it's really going to hamper their, it's going to slow their development, educational development, or their nutritional development, or their cognitive development. Um, same is true for incomes on families. If if parents are spending time all day long fetching water, you know, it precludes them from generating income. Or if they're having to pay for their kids to be treated at a hospital like the one we're next to all the time um, from things that are prevented, they spend a lot of money on this. And these are economically disadvantaged families on the global sense. So for us, the argument uh, has always been that water is the foundation of all development. You can't live more than two days without it. Um, and you can actually see a pretty pronounced change happen um, with these small interventions. I mean, what we're talking about is hand-washing, building and using a simple latrine, and drinking, storing safe water. It's not rocket science, although you would think from how complicated it actually turns yeah, out to be yeah. in the but, day-to-day activities. But one of the things um, you talk about, too, and I think this is this would be great um, to talk about, is also there are there is data to support um, the value of, of... Yeah, I mean, this is what economists do, right? They yeah. look at this kind of stuff and I remember reading a report a couple years back now that ranked the different interventions and providing the rural um, poor with safe water was the, the most effective way to alleviate poverty. And so they just kind of rated them, you know, different interventions, which is great. Um, it just kind of 
solidifies what we've already known. This is very effective and you can't do much without it. Um, but obviously we aren't, and none of our peers would say that we're the solution to a community's development problem. We're just probably um, helping that first step up become viable. Um, so ca carry that a little bit further. Um, you know, people want to be passionate about doing things, you know, to help the world, to do mm -hmm. do some good things and try to change things a, a little bit. But what are some things that they should probably look for when they're um, looking at an organization that maybe they want to, you know, take a trip with or, or do some projects with? That's good. Um, so just kind of off the cuff, the things that popped in my head were uh, kind of going back to the one cause thing, like don't be scattered. So focus on one thing and be knowledgeable about it mm -hmm. and, and do it well. And do it well, right? Do one thing and do it really well mm -hmm. kind of mentality. Um, and I think it's really, really important to offer to volunteer for the organization that you're interested in doing. Show them that you're genuinely interested in helping them, whether it's like grunt office work or stuff that is, even isn't in the field. But be willing to do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Um, because it shows the organization that you're working for that you genuinely do care and you're not just interested in going over and holding babies, you know, because that's a lot of what we get inquiries on. People want to go and fix stuff. And, you know, we're, we're too busy, honestly, to do that. And so we do want, we do need help. We do need volunteers. We do need people like you guys. But it shows us on our end that you're really committed when you're willing to do whatever, not just the thing that everybody perceives to be valuable, like the trip or whatever. Yeah, and, and can we talk about that too? Because I think one important thing that I really appreciated about something you've taught me, and that is a lot of people, um, let me rephrase that. I think often people want to do these trips because they want to be the ones to build the thing or be the one to hand, you know, yeah. the shoes that they collected or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's not something that, you know, you guys really promote. And, and, and why is that? What's what's the shift there? Yeah, I would just say it doesn't work for us. You know, I think it can work for other people. Um, for us, because we really focus on local, serving local, um, we are very much in the background. If we ever do something, um, we really focus on training and capacity building. Um, basically taking the local leaders out of their environment, training them, building them up. And we have volunteers that do that all the time. And then letting the local leaders go back and be the ones that are in the community for, you know, forever, really. Um, and it brings that continuity of service to, to the vulnerable families we're trying to serve. You know, whether or not we want to agree, the trips are transient. And so you have to think about it from the standpoint of uh, what's going to make the most long-term impact. And LifeWater's done a really good job about uh, building capacity of national entities and people um, using North American volunteers to do that in a really strategic way. We have a curriculum and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm again, I'm not saying everybody should do it this way, but that's what works for us. That's great. So, how can people support LifeWater besides, you know, donating, you know, on the website or whatever else? What are some key ways that you would love people to support? The work you guys are doing well don't undersell donating i think it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty helpful i mean um we can't do what you guys have been seeing the last few days without people supporting it um we do have a volunteer program so if you wanted to volunteer with us um you have to kind of go through this rigorous training process to become a volunteer which is really great um i, I think one of the things that we get most excited about is when people advocate for the cause you know that really is a great starting point 
learn more about life water, learn more about the cause in general of safe water and preventing waterborne disease and advocate, um, follow us on Facebook. And um, we're also launching this um, donate your birthday thing. So if you want to donate your birthday, have people give to our cause instead of giving you, you know, a cranberry pie for your birthday, then that would be great. Is that what you get for your birthday? That's what I get for Hold on. Is there such thing as cranberry pie? I've literally never never heard of that. I was thinking fruitcake, but a cranberry pie came out. Wills, I think it's always interesting to hear about the family life of people who are really passionate about a cause, their work, their day-to-day. And it's refreshing to hear Justin's perspective on how he wants his family to think of his work as he travels all over the world. So you you talk about um, how you travel a lot, and I, I know that, that you have a, um, a family, a wife, and three kids. Do you think about the impact that this is making on them? Like, what do you hope your kids see? Hmm. Wow. I think I wasn't expecting that question. You're welcome. Um, I hope my kids see me at home the way that they see me at work. So, like, I hope the compassion that I show toward people that I don't even know reflects to people that I care about the most who live in the same house, my wife and kids and stuff. Um, You know, I want them to be genuinely interested in things that are in the world that are bigger than just our little corner of America. Um, But I'm not going to force that on them. I think they know, I mean, we've traveled as a family together. They've spent time in Kenya and we're talking about going to, so they're going to travel a lot and they're going to see a lot. But I just, um, I think Aaron and I hope and pray that they take the courage and the risk to not just kind of do what would be normal and you know we we would encourage them to take some risks with what they choose to do with their careers and life you know and we'll support that so so how do you think um other people um um when they're talking about being a part of something like this like for example when i talk about uh the work that we're able to do in collaboration with you um it's so much more impactful and meaningful for me when i'm over here and you know um eating and in you know people's villages and, and shaking their hand and you know kind yeah. of seeing there every day. Do you think that's important for people to see another normal, another context? In yeah, um, especially if they don't think that they're going to solve the problem. You know, I think a lot of uh, activity in this type of work um, comes from a good place, like a good motivation, um, a pure motivation, wanting to help. You know. Um, but often maybe a misguided conclusion. Um, And what I mean by that is I want to go help um, and I'm going to fix something. And if you you come with that expectation that you're going to solve something that's been endemic for a region for X amount of years, um, you're probably going to be sadly disappointed, first of all. And second of all, it could actually be disruptive to whatever progress is taking place at the community level. So I think having really healthy expectations um, and allowing people to, you know, being well-read about these types of things before you go is really important. So can you reflect a little bit about uh, what you had referenced earlier this morning about um, people doing things to help support the work here? Well, we've, I've heard the stories of uh, how individuals back in the U.S., do get involved to raise support for the communities out here 
people they've never seen, people they've not um, really had perhaps. And I'm very touched to, to hear and know that individuals take the time to use their talent, to use their energy. I've heard about the bicycle rides over 1,000 miles, uh, 1,600 kilometers plus. So I'm very touched by those individual, let's call it sacrifices. I, I think about their families, people who miss their dads or brothers as they go to these fundraising events so far away and for so long. And I'm really touched and I know that the people in Uganda, the people in Lira, the people in the villages where we work are very appreciative uh, of these efforts. Do you think one person can make a difference? I believe one person can make a big difference. This morning we were reflecting on the little boy uh, who Jesus, you know, used his bread and fish to feed uh, thousands. Those kinds of images uh, confirm to me that every individual contribution matters. And we may never know the A to Z of the effect of their contribution, but every individual contribution makes a difference. Mm. Thank you so much. We're grateful that God has brought us together to celebrate the gift that he gave all of us beneath the ground. All we have to do is bring it up. And you use it well for the kids. Wills, that was our fourth episode? Fourth episode. That's all season one. So this is our first season. Thank you to all the listeners for listening to Design Of. We're already working on season two. And we're really excited about what we're going to show you. But first, a huge thank you to Justin Arducci and LifeWater for giving us time to record this podcast and also for taking us throughout Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. This episode is brought to you by O'Neill Printing, a sponsor of Wheels for Water as well as LifeWater International and one of Rule 29's key partners. Special thanks to Steve Wick, our audio engineer, for his work and patience with us as our first year of podcasting. You know, Wills, he's just like a cool glass of water. We'd also like to thank Sleeping at Last for providing most of the soundtrack for our episodes. Be sure to visit designofpodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at designofpodcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our first year. Hey, Wills, before we end season one, why don't you give uh, a little bit more information? Sure. If you're interested in LifeWater International and want to learn a little bit more about their organization and how you can get involved, be sure to visit lifewater.org. That's lifewater.org. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>